James chapter 3. Carmelo, I did not have this song in my um, notes. At times, I've had songs in my notes, and then all of a sudden, I come here on Sunday morning, and they're singing it. Um, I did not have this song in my notes, but it was an incredible song. Um, It is well. Uh, It is well with my soul. Um, I was back there with Steve trying to remember, I think it's Horatio Spofford, um, who's the um, author of that. And if I remember the story correctly... It was um, right after he had lost his family in a um, terrible accident, a boating accident. Uh, They were on a ship crossing the Atlantic, if I remember correctly. And he found out, and he had gotten a telegram from his wife, and I think it said, saved alone. It was only her. Their, Their children had been killed. And he was able to, as he was on a boat going to pick up his wife, um, pen these words, it is well. It is well with my soul. That leads in well with what we're going to be talking about this morning, uh, the tongue. I wonder what, what pours out of your mouth when you're in the midst of great pressure? What pours out of your mouth when you're in pain? When somebody has hurt you dramatically, is it praise for God? Is it, it is well? It is well with my soul? Or is it curses? Um, Far too often we find that uh, what's pouring out of our lives is not the things that are going to bring honor and glory to God. Read with me in James chapter 3. It says, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, for you know you who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in the what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. We put bits in the mouth as horses so that they obey us. We guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are large and driven by such strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among its members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by man, but no human being can tame this tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in his likeness. From the same mouths come blessings and cursings. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Okay, so now we've been in this uh, passage in James, and we've been looking in the book of James and just pulling out themes. We're not hitting every section of James, and we're looking at themes that we can connect back to vital relationships because our church believes that God changes us through vital relationships. And if you remember when we spoke the first week that this letter was written to a group of people that are under great persecution. This church is being persecuted by outside forces. And God is using this persecution to actually take his gospel message to the world out of, out of 
um, Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so God was using even the sinful acts of other human beings, the trials that these people are in, um, and can de- uh, dealing with, to put out that gospel message to the world. It's an amazing thing. Now, if you remember in chapter 1, we had talked about the fact that God, in those trials, can grow your faith if you're trusting in him. If you're turning to him, instead of turning to your own wisdom, if you're trusting in him, that he is sovereignly in control. And you remember we were talking about the idea of endurance. Endurance is this idea of a direction in your life, and it's a determination of your life. You're going in the direction of God, and you're determined to follow God's path. Now, if you remember as well, we said that that very same, tempta- that same, very same trial that comes at you could either be a trial to grow your faith or a temptation to rob it. And we said that you choose. If you go to the things of this world a little bit later in, first, uh, in the first chapter, it talked about materialism. If you're trusting in materialism to be your satisfaction, it's going to fail. And then we talked about the fact that it can become a temptation that's going to rob your faith. The very same acts that people do against you can rob your faith in God because you trust in yourself, led by your own passions, led by your own desires, and you're acting in sin. So it's either a trial to grow your faith or a temptation to rob it. You choose. The next week, we had talked about the difference between hearing God's word and then responding. And you remember we had said, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. We're going to talk about that in a moment as well. And that hearing God's word, when you hear God's word, does it open your heart or does it close you up? I was just sharing in the adult, Sunday, uh, adult Bible fellowship earlier this morning, and we were talking about um, the same sun. I gave an illustration that I had heard, that the same sun comes up, and when it comes up on a muddy ground, what does it do to a muddy ground? It hardens a muddy ground, the same sun. But that same sun, same intensity, what does it do to a stick of butter? It melts it. The same sun, same intensity, has two different ways. So as the word of God goes out, it will either harden a person's heart or will soften them. And what James was arguing is that if you want to be in vital relationship with God, and if your faith is real, you're going to be hearing God's word, and you're going to become softened to God's word. You're going to be led by the Spirit, and that's going to come out in acts of love towards one another. And you remember we talked about those that are in need, the children and the orphans and the widows in their distress. And then we went on to talk about favoritism in the church. We talked about those that have favorites and prejudicial aspects that are here in our lives and here in the church, and it shouldn't be that way. That as we look out at the church, we should see people of all races, all kinds, because that is where we're going to worship together in eternity. And there shouldn't be favorites, and there shouldn't be judgmentalism in our hearts, and our lives. Now he comes into this section in James chapter 3. Now in James chapter 3, he has just talked about, at the end of chapter 2, the difference between faith external and faith that is just spoken. There are some people who believe that they have a faith in God, but their lives don't ever show it. They say they have a faith, but they have no works. And James's argument at the end of chapter 2 is this, that if you have a true, saving, regenerate faith in God, it should be coming out in your actions. It should be coming out in your relationships. It should be coming out in your life. And if it's not, you have to question whether there is a real faith. We have limited the gospel today to somebody just saying a phrase or prayer, and we say that just because you've said this prayer, you're automatically saved. That's not what the scripture says. 
The scripture says that you have to trust in God and then turn. There should be a turning, not a perfection, but there should be a moment of progress and process in your life that there should be external fruit in your life that are showing that there's real life within. And James argues that. He uses an example of Rahab and he uses an example of Abraham and he's saying that their faith internal expressed itself externally. Right on the heels of this, James brings up the tongue. He starts by saying this. He says, he gives us a word of caution first. He says, not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers. Why? There are there are churches popping up all over the place today. Now, that may be a good thing. That may be a bad thing. <laughs> because I tell you that when I turn on the TV at times and I take my Bible and I listen to what's coming across in the name of God, I'm very much concerned. That people are taking Scripture, twisting it for their own benefit, and telling people things that are just not true people that should not be leading churches, people that should not be teaching, are up in the pulpit teaching people. And that's a concern. Because as I said to you last week, one of the concerns with being able to be in the pulpit, one of the concerns of being a, a teacher, is the fact that we are called to be the mouthpiece of God. That as I speak to you this morning, Lord willing, what I am saying to you is what God wants to say to you. The dilemma is this. What happens if I get up here this morning and share with you something that is absolutely not true, but I say God says it, and you walk away from here saying that this is what God says. There's a huge concern, and we have millions of people that are being um, following that type of counsel. In Acts chapter 17, there was a group of people called the Bereans. Paul was preaching in a town in Berea, and as he was preaching, the Bereans were there writing down their notes. And you know what they did as soon as they got home? They went back to their scriptures to figure out if what Paul was saying was true. That's what you're supposed to do every day. You're supposed to hear what other people are saying, but then you're supposed to compare it with the word of God, and if it's not true, leave it alone. So the word of caution that, that James starts with is this. Not many of you should presume to be teachers. That his concern is this. He says, my brothers, for you know we who teach will be judged stricter. Why Judge Stricter? Judge Stricter because as I speak to these hundreds of people that are here today, the dilemma is this, that if what I'm telling you is wrong and you believe it, I'm going to be held accountable for what I've said to you. But as I was saying to my class this morning, it's not just getting up in a pulpit and preaching. Every single one of us teach on some level every day. There are people that listen to you Listen to the words that you say. Listen to the things that you believe. The listen to the things that come out of your mouths. And the concern is this, that if what you are sharing with people is not true, you will be held accountable to God. So he offers first a word of caution. You know, one thing that I, and jumped out at me about this as well is that he added himself in this. If you see in verse 1, he says, we who teach... He didn't say you who teach. I really appreciate the fact that James is really pastoral here because he comes alongside and says, I'm a pastor too. And I get up in the pulpit and preach and I talk to other people and I will be held accountable for what I say. So will you. We will be held accountable. But then he moves from a word of caution to a word of certainty. 
He says this, for we all stumble in many ways. The reason why he says we have to be very careful what we say is the fact that it's a certainty that all of us are sinners. There is not a perfect person in this room. There is not a perfect person who has ever done, never done anything wrong. There's never a person in this room that lives a whole day without sin, let alone a whole hour without sin. We stumble in so many different ways. And what James is arguing is this. You need to be very quick to listen but slow to speak because what comes out of your mouth may be driven by sin that's in your heart, in your life. And so as we are very quick at times to speak and very slow to listen, we need to exactly make the opposite of that. He says that we stumble in many ways and we sin. But then he gives us a word of comfort. I really appreciate this. He says this, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man able to bridle his whole body. Now, it's interesting that the commentators are divided on this. I'm going to give you the one that I think it is. Um, Some commentators believe that he is saying when he's talking about doesn't stumble in any way that he is talking about or perfect, he is talking about complete sinless perfection and that you in sinless perfection will be able to control your tongue. Well, that's true. When we're all in heaven, Lord willing, and when we have no more sin, no more sorrows, there's not going to be gossip and there's not going to be backbiting. There's not going to be abuse. There's not going to be any of those things when we are perfect. But I don't think that's what James is getting at. Because James has been arguing this idea of perfection from chapter 1. And he talks about the idea of maturity. And what he is saying is this. That one of the ways that you are going to show out the maturity of your faith in God is in how you speak. And that if you have better control of how you speak, it is showing that your faith is real and deep in your heart. I think that's what he's getting at. So now I have a question for you. How much in control of your mouth are you? The words that come out of your mouth, how much are you in control of it? How much do you bridle it? How much do you rein it in? How much are you able to stop yourself before you say something explosive? How often are you able to stop yourself before you hurt someone else? James argues that if you cannot, that is a sure sign that you are lacking in spiritual maturity and something needs to change. Well, then James moves to this next section. He talks about this idea of control. He says in verse 3, If we put bits into the mouth of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. What James is arguing here is that we take this large animal, and what we do is we put this little thing in its mouth, and the rider has the control of the horse. Now, this massive animal, which is much bigger than the rider, is being guided because there's something small moving this horse, and the horse is being guided by where the rider wants it to go. He uses a similar illustration here in verse 4. He says, look at a large ship. Though it is large and driven by a strong wind, it is guided by what? A very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. And James's argument is this, that that small thing guided by a force will take it in a certain direction. Keep those principles in mind when you think about your tongue. This very small thing, the tongue, guided by your ultimate desires, is going to take you in a certain direction. There's a level of control that is here. Now, what James does is what some writers in the Bible do. They personify this, um, an element. You know, sometimes they'll talk about hands or eyes, eyes that see, hands that do. 
or a tongue that acts. What James is arguing is this, that that tongue, that little thing that's in your mouth, has an opportunity to do great things, powerful things, but it is driven by something underneath the surface, just like a ship is driven by the wind, or just like the horse is driven by the, um, by the um, rider. Your tongue is being driven by something underneath the surface. We need to figure out what that is. He gives us an idea of what that is in verse 5 and following. He says, so also the tongue is a small member of its body, but it makes great boast. It has great things that it could do. But then he gives an illustration. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small spark. I read a story of a couple of teenagers out in California, I believe it was. And they were goofing off and they started lighting fires in certain sections. And you know, out, out west, it gets really dry out there. They're actually really dry right now. And light a fire here and light a fire there and the kids thought they were just goofing off and what if they ended up happening forest fire spread houses were burned down people were killed lives were lost people lost possessions because of a small spark that set ablaze what james is he wants to give us a vivid illustration i really appreciate this about him because i need these vivid illustrations that as i look at that forest fire on my uh, on my tv that is burning that could have been started by just one little spark. One little spark. James argues that, verse 6, and the tongue is a fire. It's dangerous. It's damaging. It's a world of defiling unrighteousness. James is arguing that out of your mouth, the things that come out of your mouth, the cursing, the bitterness, the frustration, the gossip, the slander that comes out of your mouth is not just coming out of this thing that is in my mouth, it's a byproduct of what's deep in my heart. That the unrighteousness, the defilement that is deep within my heart is driving this stuff to the surface. He says in verse 6, that the tongue is set among my members, my bodily members. I have a tongue, I have ears, I have eyes, I have hands. But this tongue is oftentimes a representative of what's going on within, within my heart. It's set among my other members. But he says, it stains my whole body. Go back with me to James chapter 1, verse 26. He says that if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle or rein in his tongue, he deceives his own heart. And this religion of this person is worthless. James isn't arguing this whole book that if your faith is real, it will produce itself in fruit in life. But if your faith is not real, what's going to come out of your life is not anything close to what you're saying is faith. James says in verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God is that you look after the visit, the orphans and widows in their distress, and you keep yourself from being stained by the world. Far often, far too often, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who are supposed to be regenerated by God, converted to him, filled by the Holy Spirit, are speaking like the world. We talk in our marriages like the world. We talk in our families like the world. We don't model Christ. I was thinking about when Christ was shaken and when God, when Christ was at a point of great despair, what came out of his life? What came out of his mouth? As he hung on the cross, you remember, what poured out of his life? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. 
Mom, here's your son. Son, here's your mom. Verily, verily, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Into your hands I commit my spirit. It is finished. And what was pouring out of his life was a love for others and a love for his father. Oh, but he's Christ. How about Stephen in the book of Acts? If you remember Stephen, the very first martyr of the Christian church, you remember what happened as he was being stoned in Acts? Father, forgive them. He's speaking the gospel message as they're hurling stones at him. He's continued to speak the word of the gospel to them. Or as Horatio Spafford did, at what was spilling out of his life when he's just lost his family, it is well, it is well with my soul. The dilemma is, is that if we do not, if we're not growing in maturity, and if we are not led by the Holy Spirit, what comes out of our mouths is going to stain us. But it doesn't just stain us, it stains others. A number of you know that I, I work as a Christian counselor. I love the job, I really do. One of the things I don't like about the job is that I see people who claim to be believers sit in my office and rip each other apart. I see people sitting in my office who give me much more respect than they give the person that they pledged their lives to. And the words that come out of their mouths and, and the ways that they treat other people, it disgusts me at times. But then... I get to go home and look at how I treat my family at times and the words that come out of my mouth at times and the actions that come out of my own life at times and it disgusts me. And what James is arguing is this, that you can't get fresh water and salt water coming together. You can't get grapes off a fig. That if this is a fig tree, it should be bearing figs. If we're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we should be communicating the gospel through our lives and our marriages in our families. James argues here in verse 6, he says, it sets on fire the entire course of your life. It's not even just, I have one bad moment here. You could just utterly destroy. Sometimes I see people, and it's like almost like a cannon of anger comes out, and they explode, and then they're done. And they don't realize the devastation and the damage that they've left behind. Because that doesn't go away right away. I can even ask for forgiveness. We're going to talk about that next week, how we resolve conflict and how we seek forgiveness. But even in seeking forgiveness from somebody, that does not change the pain and the damage and the destruction that we can do with just our mouths. And James says, I could set the whole course of my life on fire. But then he says even scarier. You know where he says it comes from? That fire is coming from hell. Coming from hell. What he is saying is this, and he'll argue that in a little bit later if you look at the uh, following verses. He'll talk about earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. Earthly wisdom moves you to destruction and division and damage that attacks you. It attacks your relationship with God and it attacks your relationship with others. But Godly wisdom, heavenly wisdom moves you towards peace and gentleness and love and faith that you start to live out the gospel message. And James is arguing that when we're in the midst of this unrighteousness, what happens is that that's being fueled by the fires of hell. 
That's kind of scary to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and to say that my language sounds more like hell than it sounds like heaven. James then goes on in verse 7 to say that, you know what? You can't tame the tongue either. He says, every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. You know, I don't know if you've ever been to a zoo or a circus or Sea World or those places. I mean, they get those huge whales and they can do amazing things. And you go, you go to these zoos and you can see them do these things or circuses. And it's like, how do they get these elephants to do these things? It's amazing what we as humanity can do to tame an animal. We can't tame our tongue. James says that no one, verse 8, is able to tame the tongue. And then he argues why. He says it's persistent. He uses the word, it's a restless evil. It's persistent. And it's full of deadly poison. It's poisonous. This is fun. So out of my mouth, you're telling me that I've I got to be careful not to teach. You're telling me that my tongue can set a course of direction of my life. It reveals what's going on in my heart. You're telling me that what comes out of my mouth can hurt one another, and you're telling me I can't control it. Yes. Amen. <laughs> no, I'm going to go a little worse. Actually, James is. He says that we were just raising our hands and praising God as that great um, uh, musical team was up here uh, lifting praise to God. And as we were doing that, we were raising our hands and praising God. And, and we walk out of here in verse 9. We bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in their likeness. From the same mouths come praises and curses. He says, my brothers, this not. It should not be. I don't know how many of you have ever found yourself on the way to church, screaming or yelling or getting into an argument, coming to church. I hear a little laughter, so I think it probably has happened. And then you come to church and you raise your hand, praising the Lord, and then guess what happens? Then you leave church and what happens? Start screaming and yelling again, right? And, 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 and James is arguing greater than that. The Holy Spirit is arguing this is not the way it's supposed to be. That out of our mouths, it's just contrary to the natural world. Even the natural world, he says, the spring bears, doesn't bear fresh and salt water. Just the natural world acts in conjunction with where their nature. A fresh pond will bear fresh pond. A salt water will bear salt water. A fig tree will bear figs. An olive tree will bear olives. It's just the way of nature. And what James is arguing is that if we are bound by the Holy Spirit, we should be communicating through the Holy Spirit and the words of grace. That this church and our relationships should be the gospel of God's free grace. That if we really get in mind how lost I was and he brought me to faith by no real change of my own. And that God has done something miraculous in my life. Why can't I offer that grace to others? I think I had said to you last week or a couple of weeks ago that it is literally impossible for this person on a horizontal level to sin against you as much as you sin against God. 
And that if you have been forgiven by God's free grace of every sin that you've ever committed, if you trust in Christ, how can I not offer that forgiveness to others? Now, it's interesting that um, the passage ends there. Now, we are very practical people today, right? Tell me how. Tell me what I need to do, James, right? And our argument is, tell me what to fix. And what James does, he's, he doesn't give you a fix now. And that's got to be very frustrating. And he doesn't give you a fix because he says, the reason why we struggle today with our mouths is because we don't understand the magnitude of the problem. That if we really understood the magnitude of the problem, how much in need I am of his grace to transform my heart and to deal with the sin of my heart, that has to happen before I ever get to a place of being able to do the right things and do the right actions. That we need to be able to see that God has transformed our hearts, and if he hasn't, maybe my mouth is displaying the fact that God has not transformed my heart. And then what do I need to do? I need to go and plead to him, Lord, please forgive me. Come into my life. Save me. Transform me. I don't know about you, but as I was uh, thinking about this message, I was thinking about there were two occasions in my life, many occasions where people have said hurtful things to me. There are a ton of occasions that I can remember things that I've said hurtful to others. There were two occasions where I can remember distinctly somebody saying hurtful things to me. One time, I was walking down the street with my friend, and a racial epitaph was screamed out at me. It was the first time I had ever heard it used towards me, and it shocked me. I still remember the day. I still remember where I was. I can tell you right now. Words can damage and wound. I don't even know the person from Adam. He drove by in a car, he said a hurtful word, and he's gone. But the damage can be done for years. The second time I remember, I was in school, and um, this person had said that I wasn't college material, that I, I, um, I, should, I shouldn't even consider college, I should consider going into some craft. Now, there's no problem with those that go into crafts, um, but I was, a, I was an A-minus student at the time. And I, 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 something didn't seem to compute, but guess what? I didn't go back to logic at the moment in time. What I heard was those hurtful words, and they grabbed hold. I don't know about you, but I know that some of you have allowed words that people have said a minute ago, decades ago, to continue to dominate and destroy you today. And what they've done is they've created the direction to your life because you have now chosen to believe it. And now you've not only chosen to believe it, but now you've chosen to speak it out of your life. Stop it. Go back to the gospel of God's free grace. That to this person, maybe I'm nothing but a whatever. But guess what? To God, I'm a child of the king. I am forgiven. I have been adopted. I have been brought to him, I have been cleansed by his blood. I am loved. I am graced. And I can pour that grace out to others. 
And for the person that thought that, you know what, I can't be a college material. Okay, it's your opinion. Remember we talked about absolutes, convictions, and preferences? It's her opinion. What's the truth? What comes out of your mouth today? And if what comes out of your mouth today hurts people, I'm asking you today to go back and do two things. One, go vertically and ask God for forgiveness. That it is God's free grace that what he offers to you is this. I want to forgive you all of it. That when Christ died on a cross, he died for every word that you've ever said, every thought that you've ever had, every action that you've ever done. If you trust in Christ, all of that has been paid in full, done. You just simply need to believe in him. And not only believe in him, now allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life to start to transform you. Because James's argument is that what comes out of your heart, your thoughts, your desires, your passions, are a byproduct of what you put in there. Start putting in grace. I love memorizing scripture. Do you ever get a chance to memorize scripture? Memorize it. How about Ephesians 4.29? How about 2 uh, 2 Corinthians 10.5? It says, take every thought captive and bring it obediently to Christ. How about the James 1.19? Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Those verses that you start to meditate on and memorize now are things that can start to spill out of your life and they can correct you when you're offline. So if you don't know Christ, I beg of you, we will be judged. Every single one of us will stand before God and have to give an account. And I pray that it's on a day that every single face that I see this morning, I will see that face in heaven. But then there's a second judgment. All of us who are believers in the Christ, we won't be judged for heaven or hell. We will be judged for what we've done with our lives here on this earth. And I want to be able to stand before God and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm sure that's what you want to hear as well. And one of the telltale signs of whether you will receive that or not is what comes out of your mouth. And it's a byproduct of what's happening deep in your heart. Is the gospel taking root in your heart? Is it changing your mouths and changing your lives? Lord, I pray.